0: Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. If you would, be turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in verses 17 through 24 this morning. Uh, And let me just catch us up to where we are. Um, Let me remind you that Paul here is going to be picking up something he said in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, which was part of our confession this morning. He called for the Ephesian saints and for us as God's people to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And uh, in order for us to do that, we got to remember all that's come before, chapters 1 through 3, or at least that main section of blessing that was in chapter 1, which is verses 3 through 10, uh, or 3 through 14, actually. And so it's important that anything that we, we try to do in the power of the gospel, that we do from a firm foundation of grace and peace laid in Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone. So what that means is, uh, even though we're going to be talking about some stuff that we need to do, that doing doesn't increase or decrease God's love for us. It has no impact, to use the theological category, on our justification, our, our saveness, our entry into the very presence of God. Our works don't affect that from the standpoint of God's care and love for us, which, as Josh has rightly been pointing out as of late, is unchanging. Now... That is really difficult. In fact, I'm going to argue that is almost impossible for us to understand, because we are so we're in so much change and flux. Right? Um, there's there's things that you you believed at one part in your life, and you believed them vehemently, and you would fight somebody, at least verbally, uh, over that issue that you now don't believe. You changed on that issue, right? Uh, and there's many ways in which that's, that's true both theologically as well as practically and in a number of areas of our lives. We change. And uh, our love just really is not all that consistent. Our passion is just really not all that consistent. Our, our feelings about things change. In fact, uh, as Scripture tells us, feelings are, are really tough to judge truth by. Why? Why? Well, there's a couple of really good reasons. One, our hearts can be very selfish. The scripture even calls it desperately wicked. We want what we want, seeing through a, gra- a glass darkly, not knowing everything. And our brains are organs, just like everything else. It's affected by what you eat. It's affected by if you, how many of you... Uh, on an hour's sleep made the wisest decisions you've ever made in your life. It was just such clarity. You're like, why do I sleep? What a waste of time. I am so much sharper without sleep or without food. Man, it just really hones in, doesn't it? Uh, No, Uh, we are deeply affected by our environment. We're deeply affected by lots of things. And so there's got to be a firm foundation, an unchanging truth. Otherwise, It's up for grabs. And it's the will to power and only the strongest will survive or the luckiest in the weirdest sense of what that means. And so praise be to God that your weakness, your failure, it does not have the final say. In fact, in Christ... It should have very little say, and it should have less and less to say as we get older and grow in maturity in Christ, which you do remember Paul called us to. That's why I'm here, is to help us mature in the fullness of the stature of Christ, so that those whisperings from Satan's mouth himself would not intercede, and I use that term very specifically, would not intercede on on our grace and peace that we have in Christ. And so what Paul's saying to us here, he's saying for our good, and he's, 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 he's cognizant, just as the whole Bible is, that we are but dust, and we are, we, we're going to struggle. This is why the language that he's going to use, the verbiage, is going to be something that has to be done ongoing, which is one of the hardest parts for us, is that ongoing struggle with the things that we've struggled with, it seems like, our whole lives. When does this get better Oh, it gets best when Christ returns. It gets better as we go along the way and use the means of grace to put off and to put on. And so the thing I want us to walk away with this morning, the key truth is that we must daily. We must daily put off the old patterns of thinking and behaviors that destructively served self. That's really important that you understand that selfishness is, is, is the root of all pride. Selfishness is the root of most of the sinful things that we do. And what's really sad about that, and we're going to see this in the scripture, Paul's going to tell us, it actually doesn't end up serving you. It ends up destroying you, which is actually not really selfish at all. If you really loved you, you would take up the means of grace with great affection If you really cared all about you, you would stay as close to God as you possibly could because that's where life and life more abundant truly is. But see, that's the sad part. Satan has got us thinking we're doing something for self when we're not. We're serving his purpose and his alone, which as you remember, he's not interested in followers. What's he interested in? Lunch, food, he doesn't want you to be alive because for you to have any life in you, even in your most sinful moment, and I, I, I can't make the bath work either, but even in your most sinful moment, you still bear the image of God. You do it darkly, you, you do it with mud caked all over it, but you can't make it go away. You may not be able to see it, you may not be able to appreciate it, but it still there. And that is why Christ said... I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I came for those in need of a physician. And we as a church, one of the ways we should serve our community is to be a hospital for those who are struggling with their identity, with their image bearing, no matter what the subject may be. We should be the place where they can come, anybody can come who's wrestling with identity and say, who am I? And we would walk with them for as long as it takes to answer that question. To the glory of God. So we must daily put off the old patterns of thinking and behaviors that destructively serve self and put on our new self that displays the attributes of God in Christ by the power of the Spirit. If all we do is put off and don't put back on, well, that leaves us naked in some respects or exposed to use biblical language. Remember the story that Jesus tells, which is kind of a frightening parable. He says... It's kind of like a guy who is demon possessed, who kicks that demon out, sweeps the place real clean, but doesn't really put anything back into that temple, as it were. It doesn't say that, but that's what he's referring to. We are are a dwelling place for the Lord our God. We are prepared for that. So if you sweep it clean and you're not regularly putting back, guess what happens? Even worse comes back. He says it's seven times worse. And it's not about the math, it's about how how deeply and profoundly crippling it becomes. And we see this. I've seen this, I can't tell you how many times, especially in the addiction community, where somebody will get, get their stuff together, but they're not really practicing anything that's gonna help them. And sooner or later, when relapse comes, darkens their door, and asks for its due, it's far worse. We see it in other ways as well, not just the addiction community. We see it in all of us. And so it's going to be really important this morning that we hear both. There's stuff you got to put off, and there's stuff you got to put on. Now, it's just ordinary means of grace stuff. You may be thinking, all right, Cameron, I got to find time to work out. I got to find time to sleep. I got to find time to eat right. I got to find time to uh, grow uh, in in some way, form, or fashion. I got to find time to garden, you know, because gardening is really important. All right, I gotta find time to cut my grass. I gotta find time to love my wife or husband well, or my family well, or my children well. I gotta find time to love my neighbor well. I gotta, oh, wait, I gotta work 40 plus hours a week, Mr. Barm. Where am I supposed to do all this? In the flow of all that, how can you begin to leverage? even some of the space between some of those times, we live a good bit of our time in transition with, with times that we could be investing in our souls and spirit. You do know that it's not about the length of time you spend on it, right? You do know that, right? There's no, there's no because you're eternal people. Clock's stop for you. So God's not up there going, come on, man, 14 and a half minutes? You can't even give me a full 15 today. No, he, he, he is so, he's excited when any of his children come for any length of time. Now, uh, as we mature, your, your devotional life, it too must mature. And sometimes that means you actually do less but get more out of it because you've matured. And sometimes, sometimes you spend a little more time. There's seasons in life where you can do this, but, but it doesn't come natural to us and it must be cultivated. Right? And so it's really more within the flow of things, and it's also an issue of priority, is it not? I find it amazing. We hear, I hear people say this all the time. I am so busy. But I managed to read Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time series, which I think goes on for eternity. I don't, I don't even know if it's ever finished, right? Uh, I, they, they had time to be, completely be caught up on whatever show is the next hit show that needed eight seasons to tell the story. Whatever it may be, right? We prioritize. And we may say, but I need need time to relax my mind and heart. Well, why in the world wouldn't the means of grace be that for you? Now, sometimes it's not, and I understand that, but you need to ask the why and get at it, right? And so Paul is going to call us to this. And so the first question I have for us is, what is currently shaping how you think about see, and act in the world. For some of you, this is happening at a subconscious level, and that is most dangerous of all. You understand? When you don't know why you are reacting to the world the way you are, and you don't know what is influencing you, that is dangerous, and really not you loving yourself very well. How many of you have certain uh, sites that, that you go to, whether it be Facebook or some news, and you just walk away, you're mad every time. You see the world in a darker cast every time you walk away from it, but you, like some sort of weird Pavlovian experiment, can't help but going and hitting the lever. Right? And you just, you're just you like, I need to quit that, but golly, maybe next week. You know, or some show that you watch that is shaping your understanding of, of gender identity or sexuality because it's funny. You know, the greatest Trojan horse of all is comedy. If I can get you to laugh about it, you won't see what it really is. And that's why comedy is oftentimes the great tool of those who are challenging the kings, right? Remember the fool and his role was actually that of prophets. And he used sarcasm and comedy and got away with it, but his message got across like leaven. Same is true for us. Whatever it is you're consuming is becoming part of you. And so it's really important that you take the time to begin to assess what is shaping me and how I see the world and how I hope in the world because what you think is the, is the future end of this world and purpose of this world affects how you think about everything, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, actually. And in fact, many of us who call ourselves Christians are way, way, way more integrated in ways that are not healthy. And we don't really have biblical categories that we're thinking through. And it takes time to cultivate those And think those through and have them challenged. And so Paul's going to challenge those. And so this first part, we're going to read verses 17 through 19. And so if you're interested in developing a callous, chaotic heart and a darkened and futile mind, I've got good news for you. Here's how. You ready? So if that's what you want to cultivate, if that's what you want, here's the way. All right. Listen to God's word. This is Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Now, Now, if you want to develop a really hardened and calloused heart and a darkened and futile mind, just don't do anything about how you used to live. Continue in that way and you're guaranteed to land there. We see this all the time. Good people, it seems, at least on the surface, who find themselves in really incredibly dark places, unrepentant and, and unwanting of any sort of counsel or help from The people of God or the Word of God? Shut us out. Always makes me nervous when people make really big life decisions and they don't want to talk to anybody about it. Or when people are going through really dark circumstances and they don't want to let anybody else in on it or have people praying for them at least. It makes me nervous. Those are hard places because, again, that's where we're starting to lean on our own understanding, which is always a half measure because of our limitations. And so what Paul's saying here, he's making it very clear, he says, you must, that is an imperative statement, you must no longer walk in the old ways in which you walked. So there's a sense in which we have to take some sort of a moral inventory, yes? We have to ask, all right, well, what of who I am is part of the old way, right? What of who I used to be doesn't actually reveal the person and work of Christ. For those of us who grew up really hard in aggressive circumstances where uh, you, you had to protect yourself in a number of ways, right? I could easily say, well, that's just who I am. That's just how I was. That's how we talked in the neighborhood. That's how we communicated. That's how we... That's how we uh, engaged with one another. You got to mark up. You got to show that you can't, you're not just going to be pumped. And if I go through life doing that as a pastor, what does that tend to do if anyone wants to come near to me? This is not about hugging, by the way. But if someone wants, I have a grandchild. I'll soften on that real quick. That's, that's, that, that pillar is falling. Uh, <laughs> but if somebody comes near to me and they need a physician and instead what they get is an angry mercenary. Is that okay? It isn't. That, for me, has to continue to change. I cannot say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm such to the prophetic, prophetic end of the spectrum that I, I don't owe you any gentleness or kindness. <laughs> No, that is not okay, right? Just because of the old ways in which we have functioned, the old ways in which we have thought of all of the different sensual aspects of who we are, that just means the sense how we engage the world to say, that's how God made me. Is that okay? Because the truth is Satan has blinded and convinced you you've been remade into a different image, so you want to be really careful with the naturalistic argument for why you behave the way you do and to not take any sort of responsibility for becoming something new in the person and work of Christ. And so Paul is saying, you have to first take stock and ask, what are some of the old ways? For some of you, some of the old way is not as obvious as for some of the rest of us. Right, Like if you knew me back in the day, it it would be obvious what the old ways were and are. For some of you, it's pride. And it's pride in your righteousness. It's a self-righteousness. You thought you were the best Christian you knew. And that cloak is not humility. It's pride. That has to be done away with as well. You can't say... God will only love you more based on your behavior, right? You can't judge the world and yourself based on how much you get right, based on your limited understanding of what right is. So there's some of you that you need to take stock of that as well. So it's for all of us because we all needed saving. There had to be something of the old life in every single one of us, correct? So the question is, what was it? And how are you growing away from it? Because we all do it. And it's not just an issue of knowledge. Notice what he says. He says it was in the futility of their mind. So it wasn't just how they knew, it's how they dealt with what they knew. There is a futility in the thinking of those who don't know God. There is a futility, and here's why it's futile. Because nothing they do Nothing they think is going to lead to eternal life. Nothing they do, nothing they think is going to lead them into the presence of the Lord in joy and grace and peace. While it may not be futile in other ways, it is definitively futile in that way, which is what we were created for. Don't forget that. We we're created to bear the image of God and to dwell with him for eternity. That's the point of the entire story. Is that we could take great joy in being in the presence of the creator, right? And so anything that leads us away from that, no matter how bright it sounds, no matter how smart it sounds, no matter how good it feels, what is futility? And we have to become a people who assess our words and deeds based on that rubric. It doesn't come natural to us. I'll tell you, even as a pastor, I don't wake up and think, first of all, all right, Lord, how can I not be futile in my thinking today? I'm like the rest of you. It takes a few minutes. As I've gotten older, it takes a few more minutes. I'm even a morning person in fact, Susan was real mad at me the other day, and she's we're reconciled. But the alarm went off, and my arm was asleep, and I grabbed at the alarm with my <laughs> limp hand and knocked it off, and, and and knocked it off, and it's still buzzing, and it's blinking. And she's start she didn't yell at me, but but she, there was a stern, why is this going on? <laughs> the other side of the bed. <laughs> so why do I tell you that? I'm human too just like you. It doesn't wake up easy and natural for me. I don't wake up in the Shekinah glory. That was not Shekinah glory, that little blue light from the alarm cube. Uh, it just, it ain't natural. And so I, we, I have to work into it just like you have to work into it. But here's the great news. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been given access to every spiritual good. Remember Ephesians 1. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are without excuse in growing in this way. Because God has provided, and our limitations don't have the final say. That should cause us to say amen. And so he goes on to say, it's not just that they're, they're futile in their thinking. It's that they've been darkened in their understanding. In fact, Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, they have been, there's a veil that Satan has put over their minds. They can't see the glory of God. Doesn't matter what they read, doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter what they go to. Ultimately, if the spirit doesn't lift the veil in Christ, there is no way for it to be seen. They are darkened in their understanding. And it goes on to say, alienated from the life of God. I think that's such critical language. Not just alienated from the person of God. This is really important for you to understand, but alienated from the source of all that is good and life-giving and eternal and joyous and gracious and peaceful. Truly. We can, we can kind of generate peace and things for a, a little while. But not for long. Right? Think about it. The U.S. really tried to help peace in Iran back in the 70s. Where are we at now? We created quite the monster. And so it goes on to say, because of the ignorance that is in them. And really, another way of thinking about that is they lack the Spirit. This is why it's so critical that Christ gave us the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom so that we would know how to navigate in a fallen world to know how to deal with different circumstances as they arise and grant us opportunity to display the glory of God in very creative ways. Sometimes you're to speak. Sometimes you're to remain silent. Which is it? Depends on the circumstance. And if it's depending on me, guess which way I'm going to go? I'm going to speak. And that ain't always good, right? I've tried to catch the words once they come out of my mouth. It just doesn't work. And so for some of you, it's, you remain silent, and that's not good either because you, are the presence of the Lord may be in that circumstance, and they need to hear your voice. But in order for us to discern which it is, we've got to have wisdom, and that's the beauty of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit whom Christ ascended and sent for us in Pentecost. And it goes on to say, not just that they are ignorant, lacking in the spirit, it's it's that it's due to their hardness of heart. Something that has been cultivated, actually. You should hear the echoes of Romans 1 as we've been going through this passage. This isn't just an, an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of heart. It's an issue of affection. It's an issue of desire. It goes on to say, they have become callous. What does a callus do? How does For those of you who work with your hands, how do calluses help your feeling? It doesn't. It takes it away. It makes it harder and harder for you to feel something. And the more that these folks give themselves over to the futility of their thinking, the darkness of their understanding, and their alienation from God, the harder it becomes for them to, to, to come to the Lord. We've seen this. Notice what it says. They begin to now give themselves over. As they are callous, they have given themselves up to sensuality. That's not just sex. That's everything related to the senses. That could be anything from gluttony to love of money, any idolatry that serves the self. And they've given themselves over to this, and notice what it does. It makes them greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's fascinating. When it comes to sin, we get really creative, don't we? Those of you who are parents, (laughs) we've seen the vast creativity. It's amazing. One time we took away Kimberly's easy bake oven. I don't remember why. I'm sure we had a good reason. Okay. And somehow she got a hold of some dough and she took the lampshade off the lamp. Now, this, i got to give the kid credit. She's at least smart enough to know it's hot. So I smell something burning from the other room. And she would got some sort of, I don't know if it was a religious cake of some kind. It was really hard. I don't know if she'd read Ezekiel. I'm not sure what was going on in there. But she had burned this little cake on top, top of the thing. And, and, and she, to the letter of the law, said, Well, you took away my easy-bake oven, but you didn't tell me I couldn't use other means. So it was then and there that I learned there had to be a totality of declaration, written, triplicate, signed off on, approved, stamped, and everything else every time she got in trouble to make sure. And guess what? That didn't work either. And you're no different. It's not just about children, it's about adults too. We come up with some really creative ways to serve what we think is ourselves. And we come up with some really creative theology to help us, in fact, serve what we think is ourselves. When I want to remind you, you're not serving yourself. You're not serving yourself from divorcing yourself from eternal capital T truth. You're only destroying you. Piece by piece, slowly. That's important for you to get your head around. This is Satan is not here to help you. The ideas that many are espousing that sound like freedom are not freedom at all. We have done this in history, but we think for some reason we're smarter now. What's the attention span of most people? Oh, I test it every week. Uh, Just in case you guys got better somewhere along the way, I think, I'm going to roll the dice one more time, see what happens, right? Our attention spans have gotten worse. How about memory? How many of you have memorized uh, much of anything at all and can still recite it on the spot? Whether it be T.S. Eliot's uh, Little Gilding or something from Shakespeare or, you know, like, I mean, I saw Shakespeare in Love. Is that the same? I remember some. Now, we can, quote, we can quote snippets, right? Some of you can quote ad nauseum, vast stretches of movies, pop culture, it's not that we don't have the capacity. It's just what we've invested in. I'm not convinced that we're smarter. We are less versed in the things of the world because we have become ahistorical. We think none of that matters because we have now strode arrogantly upon the scene and we'll take it from here. Thank you, history, very much. And what's interesting is if you study history at all, and I, I could do this, I, I think I shared this before, a book I was reading on the history of Russia for reasons I can't completely explain other than I'm reading Dostoevsky. And in that, there was a section that I could read to you and say, what century, what country, and you would say, oh, that's America today easily. And I would say, no, it's actually Russia in the 18th century. Or we could pick some other time in which um, things are in convulsion in various ways. We just are arrogant enough to think that we're the most important part of history right now. And we're arrogant enough to think that because we're, we're here and haven't really messed with any of that, we're smarter somehow. We need to be careful about that. That's why Paul calls us to humility. In fact, as Christians, we, we ought be, although often we're not, unfortunately, the most humble people of all when it comes to knowledge and truth. And so Paul makes it very clear that the old way is only going to lead you where you don't want to go. And it is not going to build you up or edify you in any way, shape, or form. Listen to what Stephen E. Fowle says about this portion of Scripture. He says, The source of Gentile alienation is ignorance and hardness of heart. The combination of ignorance with hardness of heart makes it clear that the Gentiles failing is not simply an intellectual error that might be corrected through further study. It is an arrogant thing for us to think that by reason or logic or or studying certain things that our behavior is changed, I can prove it. Okay? How many of you have done extensive reading on working out and nutrition? Uh, Oh, we all, let's be honest, we all have, right? To some extent, how many of you stuck with any of it? Your current your, Jonathan feels like he's sticking with it. I think it's because he just did it. He's fresh. I'll come back to him later. But let's be honest. There's tons of things that we we got all kind of knowledge, man. We we gathered all this knowledge, and yet the temple lies in ruins. In many respects, or, or we're we we're, we're still in process. We, you know, I'm I'm still in the gathering stage, Mr. Barham. It's been five or six years of gathering. I don't have a degree in it, but I've been gathering information. And when I get ready, look out, world. So it's not a, it's, We need to understand the vast majority of our problems. Not knowledge. It's heart. It really is heart. And rebellion and will. Notice he says, rather, along with futile reasoning and darkened understanding, ignorance and hardness of heart all work together to present a picture of Gentiles as alienated from their true end in God in a comprehensive way, touching on the intellect, perceptions, affections, desires, and judgment. So the total way in which we think and act in the world is deeply affected by the fall and our brokenness. And we need to respect that Actually, And we need to respect that we're not yet glorified, which means we need the means of grace in an ongoing way. Reading the Bible once doesn't mean you're a master. In fact, as one who has studied it quite a bit for his both job and, and school and all these things, I feel like I, I, I know it less in some respects. Right? I mean, because it keeps getting bigger. The person of God grows larger. What Christ has done for us requires greater and greater affection. Why would I minimize grace and peace by thinking I've understood, handled, or exhausted them? So what causes you to feel alienated from God and his life-giving presence? Truth of the matter is, every one of us could answer this question in some way, shape, or form. There's things that make us feel cut off. But is it true if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because Christ's finished work? No, it's just a feeling. And feelings can be dealt with and changed. And so, if you do have things that make you feel alienated, what are you doing to address those things? Besides... Just naming them, naming's important, but so often we just we name it and then we think that that means God's going to just up and fix it. No, He's invited you into and granted you all the tools so that you would actually satisfy a part of yourself that you're trying to satisfy without Him, and that is to feel significant. And so He's inviting us into this great work of sanctification to participate. And be able to see in what great and creative ways he loves us, his people. Now let's turn to the text and see the way to a renewed mind and newness of life in Christ. So if you don't want a calloused heart and darkened understanding, there's a better way. And let's hear what Paul calls us to here. Picking up verse 20, he says, But this, uh, that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the righteous, in righteousness and holiness. Now this language is very important because it's from the Old Testament. He's essentially saying, put off the old grave clothes, that which defined you as dying and destined for Sheol or the grave. Put on instead the wonderful wedding garment of your salvation. This comes from Isaiah 61. You remember that great chapter that speaks of Christ who comes? In fact, it's what he read in Luke chapter 4 to say this has been declared in your hearing." In fact, it's such glorious language. I want to flip there and read it to you, just just verses 10 and 11. Um, But it's something we should be familiar with. This is the thing that we're being called to put on. He says, this is Isaiah speaking. uh, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest." with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So this is the promised garment of God that we receive in Christ. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, it's not that you're becoming just unclothed, it's not that your guilt and shame's just being taken away, which would be, that alone would be great, but incomplete ultimately. No, you are then clothed with the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks on you, he sees the finished work of his beloved Son. So that what he sees is someone worthy to come before him and stand in grace. He sees someone who needs both grace and mercy in a time of trouble. Paul says that death is swallowed up in life. And so, while that's a permanent and fixed reality, we daily need to put off and put on. Again, not ultimately. It's not that your salvation is changing, but your understanding of its application and your preparedness for the day ahead, or the day behind, depending on where you do it. And so he's saying, you got to put, if you've learned who Christ is, notice what he says Jesus is the truth. All truth is contained in Christ. The, the truest of what we need to know is in the personal work of Christ, which is why I argue, as part of our, uh, our own devotion, we need to look at the personal work of Christ regularly. And never grow tired of seeing how much he has truly given up for us, loved us, and gained for us. And so if you understand that truth, then you need to do this. So it's very clear that Paul's saying this to saved people. That you need to put off that old stuff, right? Uh, Ravi Zacharias' brother-in-law had a great sermon illustration. Well, Actually, he's like a neurophysicist or nuclear physicist or something, but he talked about how every day when he came home, because work was really hard being a nuclear physicist apparently, I can only imagine, and uh, he had this thing that he would do where he would take and put off all that frustration and anger. He had a, a nail that was on the outside of the house, and he'd walk up, and just do this and the neighbors were always wondering what he was doing they thought he was slightly daft but it ended up being something that he could explain that was really helpful to explain the gospel he says i'm putting i'm 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 not physically putting off but i'm just reminding myself that the man who needs to walk through this door and love his family well this day is not the man who is frustrated dog-cussing people in the car he, he didn't say that he's smarter than that that's my translation and so there's something powerful about thinking in that way. And I'm not saying that's what you've got to do, but there needs to be some ways in which we think about this putting off. I've been doing it in terms of my struggles with road rage or road encouragement, I like to call it, uh, edification, backhanded, uh, is, is when I get in the car is to pause for a moment and say, Lord, you've given me this vehicle as gift let me not dishonor your glory in me or in those who bear your image who maybe don't know how to drive as well as I do. No, I don't say that because that'd be arrogant. But it's So you may say, well, that seems kind of silly. Well, yeah, but it's, it really has helped me to rem- remember that, that I can't just live the old way, even, even when I feel I, I, I am justified in so doing. And there's other places where I need to do that more often, and there's other places you need to kind of think through, what does it look like to put off some of these things for you? And what's great is you've got a range of creative ways in which you can think that through. What are some of the places where you're most tempted to kind of get off base and act like the old you? Well, that's the places you want to press on and emphasize. But it's not just that you put off, you've got to also put on, right? And so there's ways in which we have to cultivate the characteristics of God. Now let me ask you, how many of you uh, who um, have ever loved anyone else in your life in any form or fashion have ever said to yourself, you irritate the stew out of me being faithful? I, I can't stand the fact that you are steadfast in loving me. It just makes me sick. Why are you so forgiving? Why don't you stop it? No, those characteristics which I just named are those of God from Exodus 34, 6-7, a passage I would commend you to memorize and never forget, because it is what we should look like in the world. No, those kind of people, in fact, the world likes those kind of people for the most part until they start to confront things. But the characteristics of God are most displayed in Christ in whose image, might I remind you, we're being turned into. From one degree of glory to another. And so if we don't know those characteristics and we don't have ways in which we're thinking through, all right, where am I weakest? Am I weak in long suffering? Am I weak in forgiving? Am I weak in being faithful to the things of God? Because now you've been empowered to do those things because you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Christ died so that you could do the things that are pleasing to the Lord and good for the life of the world to see. And so what are some ways in which you're doing that so that it will actually display true righteousness and holiness? And I don't have a lot of time to unpack this because we need to move toward the table, but, but we've let righteousness, the word righteous and holy become epithets, right? Oh, you're so righteous, self-righteous. Oh, you think you're so holy? Uh, There's a group that meets on Monday mornings uh, at Chick-fil-A, and it's one of the few times I've been persecuted in public, and it was by a 70-plus-year-old woman. Uh, She came in, and she slapped, she she had a magazine in her hand, she slapped it on the counter, and she looked up, and she goes, oh, great, and she said it really loud, the holy rollers are here, (laughs) and she sat down in disgust, and I thought, I don't. I don't really want to fight a 70-year-old woman this morning. I, I don't think that's, that's old Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a trailer park. It's possible. Uh, there's some mean 70-year-old women in a trailer park. Uh, I could have lost some of those fights. Um, and so, and, so I, and, and I was running through my head. How do we, she clearly, like, something ain't right. Uh, and so <laughs> how do we navigate this? Um, and get through. So, so the word holy was an epithet in her mouth. What a, what, a, what a terrible thing, and I don't blame her. I don't know what her experiences with Christians have been that might cause her to be disgusted at people sitting around reading the Bible, trying to grow in understanding and pray. That would be a disgusting thing to her at 7 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what her background is. But we, we can't let these terms be stolen from us. They're biblical terms, and because you let them get stolen from you, you lose a whole bunch of the Bible. And so, so we are called to righteousness, not self-righteousness, but righteousness just means displaying the character of God rightly as best we can. Right? Holiness just means just means looking like God, recognizing what we stand in in both grace and peace. Doesn't mean you're better than anybody. In fact, it means you understand your need. No one who is truly righteous or holy celebrates it in such a way that lacks humility or gentleness or all the other things that Paul has called us to so far. So it's important that we not let it be taken from us. John Stott says this. He says, we must actively cultivate a Christian life for holiness is not a condition into which we drift. Right? You don't drift into it. I ain't seen anybody just wake up and, and come in and be like, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I am better. I'm amazing. Uh, without work, without a fight, without putting off and putting on. He says, we are not passive spectators of a sanctification God works in us. That's really important. In fact, the whole of the biblical story is about us being welcomed into the work of God, not our salvation. Don't get that twisted. Our justification comes first. God declaring his love for us comes first. God inviting us in grace hospitably comes first, always. But we are invited in to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Paul puts it that way elsewhere. On the contrary, we have purposefully to put away from us all conduct that is incompatible with our new life in Christ And to put on a lifestyle compatible with it. So that means there's going to be some work involved. Because we aren't there yet. And we are rebellious by nature. I am numbered highly among you. So what helps to renew your mind? I love the way that Paul says that. We need our, our, our our minds renewed. So... That's, that's what's always troubled me about many of the ways in which Christianity is practiced. is it's often practiced as if, it, if it's mindless. No. It requires great discernment to know when to speak and when to remain silent, when to challenge and when to encourage, right? That is, you got to think through that. You need counsel. You, you, you've got to, because there's, there is a lot at stake, am I right, Parents? There's a lot at stake, am I right, husbands and wives? There's a lot at stake, am I right, grandparents? There's a lot at stake, am I right, any living human being in the room? So we need our minds renewed, not not just so that the way that we think, the way that we see the world is transformed by hope and joy and grace and peace. That's what the world needs. They don't need yet another person to declare something that's not true that this world doesn't matter, that you don't matter, that your struggle doesn't matter, that the church is in decline. No, she's not. Christ died for her. Now, there's some places where she don't look too hot, but maybe that's winnowing. Maybe that's actually getting down to the marrow. And so we need truth-tellers who are people of hope, people of joy, people of grace... People of peace. So what helps to renew you, your mind and the Holy Spirit and display the characteristics of God in Christ? If you can't name things that should bother you and you should work on you should seek some counsel. You should, you should wrestle with this until you know the answer. And that'll be good work. It's eternal work. So from Ephesians 4, 17 through 24... It teaches us that we're to walk away from old patterns of thinking and behaviors that destructively serve self and destructively is critical. And we need to walk in our newness of life with renewed minds that display the attributes of God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what a gift on a day in which we hear that message, some stuff we got to put off, some stuff we got to put on, that we get to celebrate the Lord's table. Which reminds us of all that's been put off, and all that we get to put on. And we get to have our faith nourished this morning <clears throat> in the power of the Holy Spirit, who raises us up before the very throne of God, where Christ is seated and making intercession to remind us of who and whose we are. What a gift that, that God said you would not be left without remembrances, without things to both affect you visually and spiritually. And personally, so as we come to the table this morning, we should come with expectant hearts that God has given us everything we need to put off that old life. Everything we need to battle well. Sin cannot eclipse the cross. The table declares it to be so. And to walk in newness of life, to put on any and everything we need to be to display the marital garments of our salvation.